Welcome to the Make Light Show, the podcast that's all about curating meaning and joy in a light-filled life and part of the Life Listened Podcast Network. I'm Karen Walren, photographer, storyteller, and author of The Beauty of Different, Observations of a Confident Misfit. Join me as I speak with light seekers and light makers from around the world, learning all about how they live with intention and a sense of adventure. It's proof that positivity, creativity, and kindness make the world go round. I met Malika when I first traveled to Kenya with the One Campaign, where she was responsible for digital product and social media for the organization. Since then, she's gone on to work for Malala Yousafzai before finally landing her current position as deputy editor and digital strategist for NPR's Goats and Soda Global Development Blog. That's not all. She's currently in the process of writing her graphic memoir about being a first-generation American and biracial. She's half Filipino and half Egyptian. So join us today as we talk about what it's like to grow up in a multiracial, multinational family, struggling with what it means to be American, and why a hookah and mint tea on the patio is one of the deep, wonderful pleasures of life. Hi, Malika. Welcome to the Make Light Show. Well, hello. I'm so excited about this. You know, we met... Was it before the Kenya trip when I went to Kenya with one? Is that when we met? Yeah, you were one of the first mom bloggers as part of our um, new mom campaign. And we were very excited um, about the selection of the mom bloggers. And you were one of the first. I was. I did several trips after and you were at the one campaign at the time. You were sort of the digital social media. Yeah, Yeah. social media person. I remember that. And you have gone on to do crazy amazing things because you left there and you worked for Malala, right? Yep. Um, Yusufzai, is that how she pronounces that? Yusufzai. Yusufzai. Yep. And then mm-hmm. now you're at NPR. So you're like a rock star when it <laughs> comes Thank to you. this stuff. And, but one of the things that I love about you is that you have this amazing international background, right? Like your mom is Filipino yes. and your dad is Egyptian. Yes. And I need to hear all about that. Like, I, I want to know how your parents met and what it was like growing up in a dual, like, cultural home, because that's amazing. Yeah. It, yeah, it was really hard. Um, <laughs> I actually am only um, coming to terms with everything as an adult um, and, uh, and sort of contextualizing everything and looking at my own life with a critical and, and sort of exploratory lens. So it's new for me as well, as well to like talk about this. So where, where physically did you grow up? I physically grew up in Southern California. Um, my parents met in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Los Angeles, they were working at a hotel in Hollywood at a best Western. Right. Um, my, my dad was my mom's boss. And, uh, one day my dad, um, you know, they were totally green. They had just moved to the United States year, like maybe a, a year or two before. And uh, my dad asked my mom on a date to watch Indiana Jones movie, the first Indiana Jones movie. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's it. That's, uh, you know, after in six months time, they were married. And then in a, a year after that, they had me. And uh, that's how the family got started. So their families were in their respective home countries. Yes. Uh, well, my um, my dad, it was his boyhood dream to come to the United States. He grew up watching a lot of American movies and thought that you know, America was the holy grail of all that was possible in the world. So he himself alone came here. Um, 
And then my mom, she uh, was sort of dragged into it. Uh, my There was a lot going on in the Philippines in the 1980s. It was um, President Marcos and mm-hmm. it, it, in, a, in a sort of a dictator. Uh, he was a dictator. And so they, there was this, they heard that he was going to get ousted from power pretty soon. So they weren't sure what, what was going to happen to the economy and job opportunities. So they decided to move the whole crew over to the U.S. So my mom was the second person from the family to come. Uh, and she, yeah, was working in uh, Hollywood as a, at, a, at the front desk of a hotel. And um, that's where she met my dad. So your mom, I mean, she's working front desk. Obviously, she was already bilingual. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So and then your, your dad was also bilingual? My dad um, was. He uh, had this huge plan from Egypt. He did not know how to speak English. What he did was he moved to London and did this, this um, TOEFL. Um, to, I don't know, like English as a second language. He like went to classes in between right. working as a dishwasher at a Chinese restaurant. So um, he learned English there and then they came here. So th- they spoke English primarily together, uh, you know, when they were communicating each other with each other. But you know what they say about, you know, if you're already translating something from your home language, you've already lost so much meaning and context and the ability to communicate. So I, I myself, am very curious to know how, what they spoke about and whether the <laughs> English was that good back in the 1980s. They spoke the language of love, obviously. The language of love, I bet. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. So you're growing up. Yeah. You are the first born American of yes. both of your parents' families. Yes. So go ahead. No, no, I want to hear. So like, like growing up, did you feel mostly Filipino or did you feel mostly Egyptian or was it yeah. a strange hybrid? Like, how did that feel? So my, um, my parents got divorced after five years. I think that there was a lot of, of, um, of problems that they were having fundamentally in the cultural clash. My, my mom is very Catholic. My dad is very Muslim. Uh, they're both deeply uh, observant um, religious people. Um, I think in, in Muslim, a Muslim man can marry a, a non-Muslim woman and, and, you know, she's supposed to practice Islam, but she really wanted to continue practicing her faith as a Catholic. Mm. So she wasn't able to bend to Islam. And, uh, they're also, you know, Filipino people, women are very strong in the, in society, whereas in Arab culture, women are supposed to be seen as uh, uh, obedient, obedient to men. And, um, you know, that really the man of the house is the, the father figure. Right. And so I think on a fundamental level, this was very difficult for both of them to reconcile. So after five years, it was for the best. They, they got a divorce. And uh, my father uh, tried to continue living in the U.S., but ultimately, uh, after a few years of trying to make things work and get remarried, um, he moved back to Egypt when I was around eight or nine years old. Oh, okay. So, so you probably more identified being Filipino then because your mom was yeah. um, the main cultural uh, force in your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they uh, had this deal where my, I would spend um, summers with my father in Cairo. So, oh. so uh, the, I would go from having this um, very Filipino um, Catholic upbringing to getting dumped in and my mom would literally put me on a plane by myself when I was like nine or 10. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And just, uh, it's like, um, unaccompanied minor. I would just like fly to Cairo, um, <gasps> with this flight attendant lady. 
<laughs> oh my god, how terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying. I, I, I like actually, I grew to love it as a teen. Like it was a great way to like have some independence. But when I was younger, it was much scarier for yeah. sure. Um, but then I felt like I was like dumped in the middle of this, um, this, uh, Ar- you know, Arab, I mean, e- Egyptian um, culture, not, not just em- Egyptian American culture, but truly Egyptian immersion. Mm. Um, and, oh, and having this, this pure experience like three months out of the year. Um, to both of my parents, I was the, the culture that they reflected. I was like a mirror, um, for the longest time. Um, to my mom, I was a, uh, rice eating Catholic, uh, dutiful Filipino daughter who put ointment on my grandfather's sores and like made rice. Um, I did my chores. I took care of my younger sister. We ate Filipino food at home. We ate pork. And then to my father, I was this like conservative Muslim like girl who memorized uh, surahs, which is prayers in the Quran. Um, you know, I uh, didn't eat pork. I sort of lied to him um, culturally. Like uh, you know, we I dressed more conservative around him when I was a teenager. I was used to getting uh, my father checking my outfits before I left the house. Like nothing too tight, no, not too much makeup. Um, did you wear? Did you wear a scarf? No, I didn't. I didn't wear a scarf, thankfully. Uh, actually, Cairo in the 90s and uh, the late 90s and the early 2000s was pretty um, a lot more liberal in, in what you could get away with wearing in the streets than, than now. I think now it's, it's become quite conservative to like wear something mildly like just even a short sleeve T-shirt. You know, right. it, it's, it's a little things have, have the pendulum has has swung i guess the opposite direction but um yeah in front of my dad i was a a different person and i I didn't i tried not to reflect any of the the things that i my filipino-ness in front of each in front of my father in front of my my mother i would reflect only my filipino-ness in front of my father i'd only reflect my egyptian-ness but inside i felt this inner turmoil especially in regards to religion Mm. because you know when you're younger um when you're 13 and 14 it's kind of like when you tell a kid that there's a monster underneath the bed, like they're going to take it very seriously, just like religion. If you tell them that there's a good angel and a bad angel on each shoulder and they're watching your every move. Yeah. You're freaked out. Right. Um, so with, with, with religion, um, that was really hard because I had been taught that like, uh, yeah, Jesus is the son of God. And once I'd been with my dad, Jesus is just a prophet and, um, I really felt that I was being judged by God right. for, for lying to each of my parents about who I really was and what I really believed. So, this is so interesting. And so, okay, so, but you're going to school in Southern California. Yes, I'm going to school in Southern California. I'm, I'm going to Catholic school. Okay. Um, I'm also, like, in the meantime, we didn't have any, I lived in an all uh, Filipino, um, all Asian community. So I was also trying to learn what it meant to be American during this time. Yeah. And it was really tough because I wasn't around many white people. I'm not going to say Americans because we're all American, but I wasn't around very many white people. And I equated white people to Americanness. So the more white I could be, the more American I was, but I didn't have any American people around me. So I didn't know what exactly that looked like. But I did have the television and MTV and I had Nickelodeon (laughs) and they were my handy guides to whiteness. Um, and American, therefore Americanness in, in my equation during that time. And so 
it was, yeah, it was a confusing time where I think I didn't realize I, I, so many things I wish I had known as a young person, the ways that I acted probably out of this desperation to find oneself and um, figure out who I was as a person. I, you know, I find this so interesting from, um, from both the perspective as, as myself as an immigrant and also um, trying to imagine what it's like for my daughter. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, my, both my parents are Trinidadian, so there wasn't really that duality, except that I moved back and forth between Trinidad and America. And I definitely was different um, depending on which school I was going to, right? Like if I, you know, I was far more Trini when I was in Trinidad, I was far more American, whatever that means. Um, and when I was in America, and yet I never fit in really with either because in America, even though I looked American, I clearly wasn't Black American. So I was foreign in this really weird way. Mm-hmm. And then in Trinidad, I had sort of mannerisms that were considered very American. So I wasn't really fully Trinidadian. Although I would say that then as now, I self-identified more as Trinidadian than anything else, probably because both my parents were Trini. And I was wondering, do you, what would you have called yourself if say you were in, I remember you, you shared online a, a story of falling in love with a German boy. So if you were, <laughs> if you were like, let's say you were in Germany and somebody said, where are you from? Or what culture do you identify with? Did you have one that came to mind immediately or were you pretty much torn among the three? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think I had always thought that um, I was American first and foremost, even though I didn't know what it really meant to be American, what the qualities, the, like the defining qualities of an American person was, or um, and I didn't have very many American role models other than the television to, to show me what that was. Mm. Um, but I know I felt it because in Egypt, very similar to you, when you went to Trinidad, I bet that you didn't feel you didn't quite feel Trinidad, Trinidadian. Trinidadian? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Good um, job. <laughs> and uh, in Egypt, I definitely didn't feel Egyptian. I mean, a lot of the things, there are so many things I didn't know about what it meant to be an Egyptian person that everyone else knew. All the songs that would come on the radio, all the, how to belly dance, how to serve tea, mm-hmm. um, all the little Islamic sayings that you say when, when you thank somebody for their food or when you enter someone's house. Um, all these little cultural turns of phrases I had no idea about, yet I had an Egyptian dad, uh, didn't even look Egyptian also, um, right. and did things like bring my skateboard to Egypt and skateboard in what I thought was a free and safe environment, only to be harshly judged by every person I passed in the street. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would say that in instances and times like those, it made me see, it made me, it slowly made me see that, that what, it slowly made me understand that what I was wasn't quite Egyptian and wasn't quite Filipino. Were you quite American? You know, I think that, I think that I didn't know, I still, I, I just used that word to describe whatever in-between space I felt, but I didn't know what those qualities, I couldn't define or describe those qualities that made me American at the time. Yeah. But, but I think, of course, now I, I, I consider myself, when I think about who I identify with, I think of myself as a I really do strongly identify as a Filipino um, person, but I think first generation Pan-Asian, actually, mm. uh, Pan-Asian Southern Californian. I heard this, 
<laughs> description um, from this YouTube channel called the Fung Brothers. And they basically make these videos about the pan-Asian, first-generation American-Asian experience. Yeah. <laughs> Love Southern California, which is very specific, but it's how I feel, how I identify myself. Yeah, I get that. You know, it's, it's so funny. I was, um, like, I have never myself identified with the phrase African-American. Uh-huh. And I always assumed it was the American part of it that felt um, inaccurate. And not the African part, right? Because I clearly have African blood. But um, the American part felt a little off, mostly because I grew up in a Trinidadian household, right? Mm -hmm. Um, My culture felt more Trinidadian. So I would always call myself either um, Afro-Caribbean, right? Um, Or... You know, yeah, just, you know, Afro-Caribbean who's a naturalized U.S. citizen, right? Who became a citizen. But I was really recently reading about Stokely Carmichael, the, the civil rights activist um, here in the States. But he was born in Trinidad. And I was looking up his, his Wikipedia page and the Wikipedia called him a Trinidadian American. And that actually felt right, hmm. weirdly. And I was like, well, what, what is it about that phrase? that's okay, but African-American doesn't feel right, but Afro-Caribbean feels, you know, like, like, why is it that there's these different titles that some feel, no, that's not quite it, and others are like, yeah, that's, that feels closer. Um, so it's, it's so interesting, like, these labels that we kind of are asked to put on ourselves, and, just, you know, it's almost like wearing a coat that's not quite tailored right, you know? Right. I, you know? I often like uh, think about after having um, reflected on this for some time, I think about um, how race and ethnicity is definitely a social construct. Right. Mm. But the thing is that, is that um, these labels in a way can, can create a sense of belonging, especially when you don't fit in and can help create, give you some inner peace or a sense of, of, not lonely, not, not like, yeah, belonging, I would say. Um, and, and sometimes like we search for these words, even though, even though, yes, they're, they're labels. Yeah. They're just superficial labels. We search for these words in pursuit of meaning in our own identities. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So you grow up in this incredibly international house, um, and you've worked in global health and global aid really certainly as long as I've known you, right? You were at the one campaign, you were with Malala um, and you, uh, you at NPR, you're the editor for what is it? Goats and goats and soda. It's our um, global development blog. I love it. So was it your background that made you interested in going into global development or was that just a happy coincidence? Absolutely. I, um, I think about that a lot. Uh, I think a lot about like why I ended up where I, I ended up, um, I think that like seeing, you know, I'm sure that, you know, having, you know, I'll say that like in Egypt, I got to witness extreme, extreme poverty. People like in the streets, like they're, they're only selling corn to survive uh, barbecued corn. Or like we had a a housemaid who was 10 years old when I was 11 years old, who was scrubbing the walls while I was playing video games. Um, and I, I think seeing that made me really curious and interested about why 
um, some people live like that and why I got to live like that and what and why I got to live in a, in a different and more privileged way. And to make matters more complicated is that why did my status as an American, my dad was so proud to tell everyone that I was a U.S. citizen, that I had an American passport, and encouraged me to like wear T-shirts that had the American flag on it. Um, why, why, why living in that country particularly made you um, much in a, in a much better place than living in Egypt or, in, or any other country, really. Right. Um, and so I think that has always, I, I think I've always per, pursued in, in my life to try to answer that question. Um, and I'm glad to have been exposed to, to, to living in a place like Cairo for some time to see that. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, and so, you know, you've been doing all this work and now... You have a book deal. You're writing a book or yes. drawing yeah. a book, right? Yeah. Um, and I, is it called I Was There American Dream? I don't know. I don't think that we're not sure what the title is, but it's the working title for now. I, I love it. And you talk about what it means to be growing up um, sort of as an immigrant of, of both those countries and both those cultures. And, and what does that look like um, as a first generation American? Um and I, I love it. Tell people more about it because I, I, you can follow it on Instagram and I'll link to it in the show notes. Tell people um, what you're trying to do with it. Yeah. So um, I started this uh, Instagram account. I was their American dream to draw um, the funny little observations that I made um, between Arabic, I mean, Egyptian, Filipino and American culture, especially at a time, um, you know, in in this political environment where a lot of people are talking about race uh, and immigration. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it started to be, a, it started off being a very like casual thing, but the deeper and deeper and, and more cartoons I started to make, um, the more I realized that it was really helping me figure out, uh, ask myself some really hard questions about, about how I grew up and, and um, what it meant to be an American in this country today and, and where I fit in the equation. I grew up, I think I grew up in a, in a very, um, Asian community, a very Brown community. And when I came to the East coast, I was very shocked by, um, how white it was and how little, um, white people seem to be interested in, uh, or many of the ones who I'd met interested or, or in, in talking about race in a way that I grew up with other Asians. Um, mm. and it seemed to be very difficult, uh, or they didn't seem to really know how to begin the conversation about race, which was something I was dying to share. I was dying to, sh to talk about, about, about things that matter to me, the food that I eat, um, the values that I have, um, my, my parents um, growing up in Egypt. And um, once I started tapping into that, I, I felt like, like if they're not going to ask me, then I'm going to freaking share it. So <laughs> I did. And what ended up happening was that, um, for white people, it became like a really interesting place to go to learn more about these two very interesting cultures, Egypt and Filipino, uh, Egyptian and Filipino culture, but also for brown people of all ethnicities, not just Egyptian and Filipino, but Nigerian, Somalian, um, Mexican, uh, Portuguese people uh, who who um, can see themselves and relate to these to these cartoons that I've been drawing. Some of them are really like silly, like um, the hierarchy of jobs according to a filipino parent uh, the doctors being at the very top um one is a drawing of like my obsession with rice um and i'm rolling around in rice very happy 
um, you know, for, you don't have to be Filipino or Egyptian to enjoy that cartoon. Like you can be from China and be like, oh my God, I feel the same way. Ah. Right, right, right. Um, and so I think that that was the magic of these cartoons that they're very relatable. They're interesting for people who aren't POCs. Um, and from that, I was able to get a book deal with Clarkson Potter, um, which is a subsidiary of Penguin. Okay. <clears throat> and so this book is coming out in March 19th. And it's basically a graphic memoir about, um, yeah, about, about, yeah, it's a graphic memoir. And it's so, you know what, for me, it was so interesting to watch. So a little background. So obviously I'm Trinidadian. I'm married to a Brit. Mm-hmm. My daughter, um, you know, when I ask her what she, how she views herself, um, she views herself. I don't know. It keeps changing because I don't think she thinks of herself as English. I think she kind of thinks of herself as Trinidadian because of me. She definitely thinks of herself as American, but Mm -hmm. she's also, she was also adopted and her birth, her birth mother is Mexican American. Her birth father is Afro-Colombian. So she also considers herself Latina, even though she's definitely not growing up in a Latina household other than Trinidad kind of feels like Latina casa because the Caribbean is such a huge Latina influence, no matter what Island you're on. So mm-hmm. it's a really sort of interesting way. But when I look at your cartoons, like, like I, I, I seem to remember a cartoon that you did about going to school and, and having somebody else who was Asian, like another um, classmate who was Asian or probably Filipino and saying, getting all excited about the food that your mom had packed and nobody else really understood the food, which was mm-hmm. definitely me, right? Like I remember going in with, you know, Trinidadian food that was just like Trinidadian food. And people were like, what the hell is that yeah. know, as a kid? And so, yeah, there's definitely something that's very um, resonant about it. And I, and I feel like it's, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption, but I feel like it's particular to immigrants in America. Like, I don't know if the immigrant experience in other countries is similar or not. What do you think? I wonder that too. I, yeah, I really, I really don't know. I think that there's like a lot of complex complexities, um, about being an immigrant in other places. Like, um, I wonder whether in France, for example, um, immigrants stay in their immigrant enclaves and don't, um, aren't encouraged to like assimilation is seen as, uh, turning your back on, culture Mm. but it seems like in countries like canada australia this is just an assumption but like canada uh, australia and um the u.s it's possible to assimilate without um and also preserve your culture at the same time Mm. uh do you feel like that um your your husband is american right white american Mm -hmm. he's Um, southern southern white american that's awesome yeah so like when you think about uh if you guys are going to have children i'm making an assumption but do you think about how you would preserve those cultural ties with your child yeah i fear that so much i feel like every year that i live away from my family to me my family is my identity i mean they were the they're the people who are the guardians of of all the pomp and circumstance that defines what it means to be um trinidadian or um, Nigerian or Filipino or Amer- or Egyptian, like they're the ones that, that they're the keepers of this incredible knowledge. And I feel like when I live away from them, I'm slowly losing um, what those what those things are. I mean, and how does I that feel loss like, feel? Like how does that manifest for you? Well, 
you know, sometimes I'll be thinking about, um, I, I, sometimes I, I have to, I, I don't, I've lost my taste of eating rice three times a day, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, you know, that was uh, something that Filipinos eat rice for, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't want to eat rice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, too much dang rice. Um, sometimes I catch myself, like, I used to be so fearful of these, um, these superstitions that we had in Egypt. Um, don't look in the mirror while you're crying because the jinn might the jinn, which is like like the spirits, yeah. might like get into your into your body. Um, or you know, in Filipino culture, don't throw rice away uh, because that uh, that's bad luck. It means that you're throwing money away and you'll lose money. I used to hold these superstitions so dear, and now uh, you know now I just yeah I've thrown rice away. I don't even look, think twice about it. Um, <laughs> So those are the kinds of things that I think about that I'm slowly losing. But yeah. upon further reflection, I think that I think that it's not it's not it's not those customs that make you Filipino or Egyptian or whatever or whatever culture you are. It's 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 your value system. I, I see my Filipino and Egyptianness in in my work ethic, in my um in in how I entertain other people when I have them over to my house in my hospitality. Mm. I see it in what I want to do on my free time. I want to smoke my hookah in the patio and I want to listen to Arabic music and drink a cup of hot tea with mint and sugar. That's what I want to do. Mm. I, I see it in, in myself. And these are not things that you can forget. These are tastes. These are values. These are, these are there permanently. Mm. Um, and when I realize that, it makes me less scared. Yeah. And, and, and as far as like raising children, like what will I pass down to them? It takes work to stay the culture who you are. You need to surround yourself with people of color. You need to surround yourself, um, you know, if you want to. I think that I try to cook Filipino food as much as possible because I, I don't ever want to lose that part of myself, even though that's a superficial way to express your culture. I, I mean, like. You need that too. You need, you need the customs and you need the values mm. and how I will pass it on to my kids. I don't know. And I hope my biggest fear is looking into their eyes and they've got this, you know, hopefully they will have an Arab name and a white last name yeah. <laughs> and you know, they won't, they won't know anything or care as much about their identity or they won't know what it means to be Filipino or Egyptian. And, and I feel that's so sad for them. That's, it meant so much to me. And I, I just feel like that would be so sad. I have, I hope that that's my biggest challenge to try to keep that alive. Yeah, it's really, you know, and I will tell you, um, because I'm, a, I'm quite a bit older than you. And actually, that's that leads into my next question, which we'll get into in a minute. But I'm, um, so with my daughter, music and food are absolutely how I keep it alive. And like you said, it feels superficial, but in a way, it's sort of not right mm -hmm. um, that she knows, you know, what a palau is, what buljol is, like the kind of foods that I grew up with. And she knows at Christmas time, we're probably going to have buljol on Christmas Eve. Growing up, and when I say growing up, I mean, I came here as a 16-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, that very much of my life was about assimilation. You know, I worked on this American accent that I'm speaking to you with, and I relaxed my hair, and I tried to be as American as possible because it felt like survival for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't come out of that until I was in my 40s. And so I wanted to ask you, 
when did you figure it out? Because you're you're 30. Is that correct? I'm 32. You're 32. Okay. So like I'm 18 years older than you. So you're (laughs) so much younger than I. So how did, when did you start doing it? And you do, like I've seen pictures of your home and there's lots of like very um, Middle Eastern uh, decor in your house. And you're, you you have a, was it a a Filipino star at Christmas time? Yes, it's a parole. 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 I was very proud of that. (laughs) You were very proud of it. And, And you'd even dress, like oftentimes you will dress um, in clothing that is very uh, culturally significant to you. So when did you yeah. finally figure out, like, you know what, I'm going to be who I am? Because like, it's right. it's inspiring. It really is. I'm so glad um, because I think that, um, yeah, that's, oh, it's 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 sad. I think that I think here's when I realized it. I think there's several ways to answer this question, and I want to sort of think about this answer. It. it give this a fair answer I think actually there's lots of different factors that happened in my in my late 20s to sort of contribute to this um I guess like cultural wokeness if Mm -hmm. we can call it yeah first of all I um to be a person a first generation American you're never going to truly be uh you know the dominant culture is white culture in this country. So, so to, to really assimilate, it really means to try to be, um, assimilate. That's an unfair thing to say. I was basically sick of trying to like fake cultural literacy on things that I didn't, that, that white people seem to know. And I didn't Mm -hmm. from anything like, um, like certain kinds of manners, uh, at the dinner table to, the kinds of books I was supposed to have read as a young person to, um, you know, bands that I was supposed to like because they were considered good music, um, Mm -hmm. but didn't because I just was simply not interested in it because I grew up with totally different music at my house. Um, I was sick. I was sick of, of, of sort of faking, faking interest in things that I, that I didn't want to be interested in. Secondly, like there's like maturity as an adult, like you, you learn to take what you like and don't like, like, I know that white people love wearing boat shoes, but I don't want to wear boat shoes. Okay. Like I, I don't want to wear boat shoes. I'm sorry. Like I'm not going to wear boat shoes. So just, just like, I, like, I have either, my own actually. taste. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have my own taste. And like, I want to do what I want to do. And then the, uh, the last thing I think uh, the big one is seeing is representation. I think representation, seeing um, Aziz Ansari, like give the um, opening monologue, uh, was that this year or last year? So that was last year. Mm-hmm. The opening monologue um, after the inauguration uh, and talk about America through the lens of a Muslim first generation. Is he Pakistani or Indian? I'm not sure. I thought he uh, passed. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah but he is a first generation Muslim person. Um, sort of give the opening monologue uh, of, of a very significant political event um, really hit home for me it made me feel like that was the first time I saw myself in the media and it made me cry because there are so many of us in this country who who are first generation Americans and having lived to 31 years old and not seeing yourself on tv is is a very sad 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 concept and we're seeing we're seeing what people presume you must be right if you are Muslim, you must be oh, a yeah. terrorist or, you know, right. if you're, if you're from the Caribbean, 
you've got to be, you know, a nanny, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that sort of, that sort of idea of what, or like a musician that plays like the, the con- like whatever. Yeah, yeah. Maracas or something. Right. Or, or definitely Jamaican because there are no right. other islands, right? In the Caribbean. Exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. Um, um, so, so seeing that represented, I, it made me feel like, um, it made me feel like, like, I just, I just want to be myself, please. That's That's, it. So you would say this is pretty recent for you, though? Yeah, it's pretty recent. I think that, like, um, I I, I worry that, yeah, it's been pretty recent to just just sort of say, I think I'm going to try to be myself. But what I'm afraid of is that I don't know what myself means anymore. Mm. Think about why, what my taste, how my tastes were shaped. And I wonder whether the reason why, like, rock bands in, in high school was because I... I looked ethnically ambiguous and people didn't know what I was and I couldn't prescribe to the tribes that were already forming in high school, the Asian group, the Arab group. Right. Um, and so as an outsider, I felt like if I adapt, I adopt white culture, then I would m- make myself stand out or somehow that would give me some kind of leverage as a person or some kind of stature. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, now I'm worried that the taste that I formed as an adult, um, even yeah, the taste that I formed as an adult has, I don't know what myself is after so many years of trying to be someone I wasn't. Yeah. Um, the other thing that, and the reason why I wanted you here is because what you've just said there is what I actually struggle with as well right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to um, Chimamanda Adichie, um, mm-hmm. ta- you know, the, the author from Nigeria, and she was talking about how she refused to give up her Nigerian accent. Mm. Um, and that, that was something that was very important to her, that she does not Americanize, even though she went to university here. And I just felt this huge, overwhelming sense of regret that I uh. studiously got rid of my accent, you know? Uh. Um, and I was like, oh, what was I thinking? Of course I should have hang, hung on to that, right? And even though it felt like survival as a teenager, and I was obviously much younger than her when I came to the United States. Um, but now, like, I'm like, okay, is there any way I could get back to speaking with a Trinidadian accent? Which naturally comes when I speak to a Trini. Like, I don't even right. think about it. I just switch. I, it's code switching, right? I totally yeah. code switch. But I'm like, how do I stop the, the code switching that happens so that I can hang on to that? So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what your answer is about what does that mean? Because <laughs> I'm struggling with it as well. Um, and do we have the freedom to sort of create what that means? This is what is such a lovely moment about this time in America is that I think that everyone who was a first generation immigrant in the past 30 years, we are now experienced some kind, some kind of like collective wokeness about it being okay to be who we are and trying to figure that out together. And that's what I feel like a a great sense of, of solidarity and, and support. Um, through my journey. And I I know that other people, millions of other people who are coming of age now, um, uh, are are going through the same thing. I imagine as well, same struggles. And I, for our young people, I feel like, gosh, if they had the stuff that I I was opening Netflix a few months ago and I saw right up there, I, it was like Aziz Ansari, Joe Coy and, um, Russell Peters, like all in my Netflix queue. They're all people of color. And I was like, dang, if I, had that when I was a kid, I would have definitely like been 
I would have handled my identity and, and race issues very differently, I imagine. Yeah. I, we just actually saw Black Panther um, this oh. weekend. And, you know, we went as a family and my daughter loved it, but she wasn't as taken by it as I was. Uh-huh. And I thought that's so interesting that she's like, well, sure. Of course, you know, what's so big? Yeah, it's a Black Panther. It's, it's a superhero show. It's no like big deal. <laughs> and for me, I'm like, you don't get why this is so important. <laughs> I know. know. It's real. And the fact that, you know, the thing that I love about it is like all of the actors are, you know, they're Black Americans, they're African, they're West Indian, right? Like they're from so many different countries in Africa and mm-hmm. so many different countries in the Caribbean and, and so many different states in America. Like it's so diverse. And it, to me, it's just so beautiful. And my daughter's like, yeah, it was good. <laughs> uh, like you don't know how far that we've come to get to this point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let me ask you, so what advice would you give to somebody? Let's say somebody your age, um, who's been first generation, who has, we're going to use the word again, assimilated into what they think they needed to be in order to be, to, in order to belong. Mm-hmm. And they're now thinking, oh, you know what? Maybe, maybe I need to start looking at representing my heritage more visibly what kind of advice would you give that person i had this um i deleted it for some reason because i sometimes i delete my tweets but i I wrote 10 questions that every person who wants to find every person of color who wants to find themselves should ask themselves Mm -hmm. kind of like the 36 questions to fall in love yep i wanted to do like the 10 questions to help you get connected with your brown side Um, but I deleted it and I forgot what the questions were, but basically they were questions like, um, like, who do you identify, like, like which cultures do you identify with? Um, how did your parents define what it meant to be American at home? Do you feel like you can express what it means to be your parents' cultures? Or do you feel like you need help from your parents? Um, how important is that to you? I wrote this whole checklist. Actually, I'm going to retweet it now um, and try to think of it. But I think the biggest, I think the biggest advice that I would give um, people, because I think that sometimes when I talk about this with my, my friends who are of color and who are also first generation Americans, and some of them are like, I don't really think about that too much. And I'm like, dude, this is the time to think about it. This is like, like, like this is a very defining and important moment. Um, into being a, a brown like a first generation american like we can define help define the next generation like their ability to feel included and like we need to help shape that and we need to find ourselves um i think i think the best question is to ask yourself who do i identify with who who do i identify with and that's a really good starting point i think who do i identify as that's yeah. a really good starting point Oh man, there's so many more questions that we're running out of time. And there's so many more questions I want to talk to you about fashion and all this other stuff, but we're going to get to our little bullet round. Okay. Um, basically I'm just going to ask you some quick questions. The first answer that comes to your head. Okay. Easy peasy. Okay. All right. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh, okay. Really? Even though you're drinking your mint tea on the, on the balcony. Yes. It's the most beautiful part of the day. (laughs) All right. And then um, I know you draw, but I've also been doing these wonderful little sculptures. So drawing or sculpting? Ooh, um, sculpting is so much more fun. Oh, is that right? Making tiny things. Yeah. And and tiny things in my hands. Yeah. I love it. And you make like tiny foods. (laughs) I I make tiny foods. I make like Polly Pocket textile things. I made a Japanese spa inside an eyelash 
eyeglass case. I make crazy stuff. I love that stuff. All right. Um, city or beach? Oh, um, city all the way. I love shopping. Nice. Um, okay. Favorite Egyptian food? Okay. Um, my favorite Egyptian food is, um, is, oh, uh, it's like a potato, a fried potato sandwich that looks like a falafel sandwich, but instead of the falafel, it's pota- it's fried potatoes. And what's it's it a called? comfort food. Um, I have no idea. It's, it's like, just like, uh, it's just something that you can get at a street shop. Nice. You just say you want the potato sandwich. Okay. And then favorite Filipino food? My favorite Filipino food is fried spam, which is not Filipino. It's just what Filipinos like to eat for breakfast. Yes. I chose Trini's. Oh, really? Yeah. That, that was like a big lunch thing. It was actually lunch, but yeah, you, you slice it up and fry that thing up. Oh, so yeah. Good. A little ketchup mm-hmm. on the side. Did you have yep. the- <laughs> ketchup? Mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Safe to God. I haven't thought of that in years. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Something someone would be surprised to learn about you. Hmm. Um, Something somebody would be surprised to learn about me. Um, I, oh man, that's a good question. Oh, I love Korean dramas, like Korean, Korean TV shows. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And then to the the last two questions, my daughter makes me ask everybody. Mm -hmm. So Pandora or Spotify? Spotify. And Facebook or Instagram? Instagram. Yeah, it's got to be Instagram. So, because yeah. I love, I was their American dream. I love that Thank Instagram you. feed. It's so awesome. Okay, and then the final question: What does it mean to thrive? What does it mean to thrive? Yeah. Um. Ah, that's a really great question. I often think about that question. Actually, um, to thrive means to to find the power and energy inside you keep going even though it seems really really damn hard <laughs> i love that that's awesome maka i am so thrilled that i took the leap to ask you to be on the show i loved every bit of this and i could keep going karen i am such a fan of yours i love your all of your writing i just want to say that i love all your writing i'm sure you get this all the time from other women who read your blog but seriously you are so wonderful and you're really inspiring and i am so happy to talk to you i'm more honored believe me oh, thank you thank you so much friend okay I could talk to Malika forever and ever, so I'm so grateful to her for joining me here on the Mate Light Show. And as always, I'm grateful to you that you joined us as well. If you'd like to find out more about today's guest, Malika Gari, and her work at NPR, as well as a sneak peek into her upcoming memoir, be sure to check out the show notes at matelightshow.com. And if you're talking about today's episode on social media, don't forget to use hashtag MakeLightShow so we can find you. I'm Karen Walrand, and I'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. Drive on, friends. Mm -hmm.